Thanks for tuning in to a Sunday service. This week, we'll hear a message from Pastor Andy Bowles. Fed, F-E-D, faith, eternity. I'm going over the right letters, right? Okay, destiny. Faith, eternity, and destiny. Because if the scripture is true and if what Jesus says is right, and I think all of us here this morning probably say amen, what Jesus said is absolutely right. The Bible is true. I mean, if we've come in this room and you're just expecting to hear a guy from a stage talk, then you can YouTube some TED Talks and get from it probably better than what you can get from here. But if we come in this room and and we're all anticipating something greater than what a guy on a stage can give, that we have actually in our midst, in our hand, in our possession, the infallible, inerrant word of God, that we believe it from beginning to end, and that we know that it has power to influence and change us, then we can leave this place a whole lot better than when we came into this place. So what did Jesus say? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, the Sermon on the Mount, He said, blessed are they that are hungry, hungering and thirsting after righteousness, for they shall be filled. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to put this note down because I think this is super important, not just for this series of messages, but for for, for all of your earthly existence, okay? Here here is the comment that I've got on Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Your appetite will determine your filling. Your appetite will determine your feeling. What are you hungry for? Now, we could, we could play that scenario out and we could talk about the hungers that we have in our physical body. Sometimes we hunger and crave after sweets and sometimes we crave saltiness. Sometimes we want a steak and sometimes we want a salad. I most of the time want a steak over anything else. But our appetite will determine our feeling. It goes the very same, not just for your physical body, but for your mind's consumption. When I was a youth pastor years ago, we used to drive this thought home all the time, junkie and junk out. Junkie and junk out, junkie and junk out, junkie and junk out, junkie and junk out. If all you're doing is consuming junk in your mind, if all you're seeing is junk in your social media, in your entertainment avenues, if all you're hearing is junk, then you should expect junk out. Let me ask you this. When I throw trash in a trash can, what do I get out when it's time to get it out? It don't magically change. Come on. It don't magically change. And so what your appetite is, that's what you'll be filled with. And so if we're talking about being fed in a spiritual sense, the word of God, our subject that we're going to look at over the next three weeks is a very serious, a very deep, a very interesting, a very life-changing subject. And that is how to deal with my sin. How do I deal with my sin? If I'm giving you a Fed talk over the next three Sundays, that's what I want to discuss as we move into most of you guys, students going into school, parents getting back into routine, 
you're going to get bombarded with an awful lot. Most of our extracurricular activities are picking back up again. Hobbies are reforming. We've come back out of vacations. The summer is ended, even though the heat is still there. Mm. It's supposed to be 102 degrees, by the way, at 3 o'clock. It's nuts. Me and I was talking the other day. I'm so glad I'm not going to hell. <laughs> So what does it say in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9 through 11? That's kind of our, our, our diving board verses that we want to discuss as we lead into this series of messages. Here Paul the Apostle, he's writing and he says, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. Yeah, there's going to be some words that we mention in this diving board verse or passage that might need to be clarified Sunday to Sunday. But when Paul's writing, his intention of writing as far as bringing truth to the church at Corinth wasn't just to get their attention and make them feel bad. Sometimes as a preacher, when you have to preach very stern truths on the backside of things, because the fact of the matter is what's being preached from here has first been preached to here by the Spirit of God and by the Word of God. It's not the intention of the preacher to make anybody feel bad, unless the ultimate goal is that you feel better later. <laughs> right? Well, Paul the Apostle, he's, he's not saying I'm writing this to you so that you can just feel bad about yourselves. That's not what I'm saying. He says, but that you sorrowed to repentance. Repentance is just a Bible term, another double-jointed Christian word that means I'm living in one way, in one manner, in one direction, and then all of a sudden I receive a truth from God, and it is so amazing and so abundant to me in the moment that I am challenged to move away from the direction of life I was living. Let me, let me just put it this way. Just kind of get real close to where we live. I am watching pornography. And I know I shouldn't be watching pornography, but then truth hits my heart like it's never hit me before. And I turn away from watching pornography. And now I put blockers on my phone. I get accountability partners. I'm making sure that I defeat that sin in my life. I cuss. I cuss sometimes when I just get mad. I'm trying to be Christian and not use as many curse words as I used to use. And everybody around me knows that I'm trying to do better. But I slip up and I say a curse word when I'm around a certain group of people. Or when I bang my toe against the wall. Or hit my thumb with a hammer. And all of a sudden it just seems to come out. Boy, don't we throw a lot of excuses on things. But I'm ready to turn away from that. And I turn away from that because I know the Bible teaches me not to use filthy language. And so I want to leave that behind and I want to turn away from that. I want to live right and no longer be an addiction. But it seems like every time I turn around, there is its ugly face staring me down again. And I am tempted but I want to repent. I want to turn away from it. I don't want to live in it. Because you know as well as I do, the most miserable person on the planet is not a lost person, but a Christian who's still in sin. Right? And here he's, he's saying, now not that you were made sorrow, but that you sorrowed to repentance. That was a brokenness that birthed forth a change in your life. He says, for you were made sorrow 
sorry, after a godly manner that you might receive, that you might receive damage by us in, in nothing, not that we've done anything wrong to you. He says, and this is the power of this, this passage right here, for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world works death. You might have experienced this in your life to where you got caught doing something you promised you would never do again. And you felt horrible after you got caught doing something you promised you would never do again. And the people who you told, I will never do this again, when they saw you, you were ashamed. And you were filled with emotion of, I'm guilty. And you wept, but you didn't have any intention not to do it again. <laughs> he said, Sor godly sorrow works repentance, a godly brokenness. See, I think this is the issue with our sin and, and it's sometimes the unwillingness from us to leave our sin for what God has, which is far greater for us than the sin that we're devouring and filling ourselves up with. I think the problem is we don't realize ultimately who our sin is against. I want you to know this, that when you sin, there are casualties. You can't sin without there being some casualties. When you sin in your marriage, there is a casualty in that relationship. When you sin in your friendships, there is a casualty in that friendship. When you devour things with your eyes, there is a casualty in your mental state. There, we can't separate ourselves from the fact that God has already set in course in James chapter 1 where he says when sin is conceived, it brings forth not life, but death. So God, with all of his mercy and grace, is wooing us not to be broken. You see, our sin ultimately is against God. You might have offended somebody and you might have sinned against a spouse, against a friend, against a co-worker. You might have sinned against your own flesh. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, flee fornication for all sins that a man commits is outside of the body, but the sin of fornication is a sin against his own body. You might have sinned against your own self. But ultimately every sin... When David is writing the song of repentance in Psalm 51, he says in verse 4, Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. He sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against Uriah the, the Hittite. He, he sinned against his whole cabinet in his count, uh, ca castle. He sinned against his servants who he sent to get her. He sinned against the prophet who came and pointed out his own sin to him. He sinned against his whole nation as the leader. But as he is repenting, even though there's been confession made for the other, there is against thee and the only of us sinning. The, the reason that we don't fully get released from our sin is we forget who we've sinned against ultimately. It's not as felt in the heart as it should be felt in the heart. He says in verse 11, For behold, this selfsame thing that you sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you when you were truly broken over 
your personal sin against God, how it changed you into where now you are no longer flippant. You no longer are living in a manner that says, well, everybody sins. Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody has those days. Y'all know what I'm talking about? By the way, that was a song. I saved you from the rest of it. Yeah. The mentality is, oh, everybody makes a mistake. Everybody sins. Everybody does wrong. But the fact of the matter is we're not talking about everybody. We're talking about you. We're talking about me. This godly sorrow should work a certain sort that brings carefulness inside of us that is now willing and ready to leave the sin that has bound us. He says, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, what fear, you vehement desire, what zeal, what revenge. In all these you have approved yourselves to be clear of this matter. How much do you hate your sin? Now don't, don't get caught up. I don't want you to think of somebody else's sin. How much do you hate your sin? I don't want you to think about about a wife's sin, a husband's sins, a child's sins, a, a, a politician's sins. How much do you hate your sin? And are you willing to, with absolutely everything inside of you, abandon that? That's what we're going to be talking about over the next three weeks as we look at Fed introduced today. August the 13th, 2023, at Embrace Church for the first time. You guys ought to feel privileged. This is the first time this has ever been showed to anybody. Y'all like this prop? It was the box the TVs came in. <laughs> so I want us to look at Romans chapter 6, verse 14 for a moment. Romans 6, 14. As we think about done with sin... To be done with sin. Isn't that what we all want? Is to be done with sin? I'm going to complete that phrase here at the end of this message. And I really want you to pay attention at least toward the tail end of the message. Because it's going to be powerful in the conclusion. Because what I'm giving you is just the first part of the title of today's message. Done with sin. Look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 6 verse 14. He says, for sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under the law, but under grace. The book of Romans is one of those very fascinating books. I mean, it is a deep theological account, understanding of what salvation is and how God's grace and sovereignty blend together for the saving of God's people. In chapter 1, it'll tell you that you need to be very careful about your sin, your unrecognized and your unrepented sin, because unrecognized and unrepented sin can lead us to a very calloused place in our spiritual walk. Be very sensitive to the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit of God speaks to us in his leadership unto salvation, receiving Jesus, turning away from our personal sin, and how the work of the sanctification of the Spirit of God is supposed to be inside of us. That once we give our lives to Jesus, we are not satisfied to remain there, but we want to grow deeper in our spiritual purity, in our relational purity, in our mental purity, and purity all around. 
Romans chapter 2 will actually be the chapter that helps answer the question for you that you've had for a really long time. What happens to the people who never hear about Jesus and die? Anybody ever had that question before? What happens to the people who die who never heard about Jesus? Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 3 through chapter 8 pick up on this big idea about dealing with sin this verse 14 of chapter 6 is kind of our landing spot. He says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. Paul, in this moment of a blending of personalities and cultures and the diversity of ethnicities in the city of Rome, he's addressing both those who are Jews and those who are not Jews. Those who are Jews, they understand the law, the Torah, the Pentateuch, the, the Old Testament, Genesis to, to, to Deuteronomy. They, they take it to heart in such a place to where they've been living by it nine months before they were born. <laughs> you ever heard anybody give that testimony? Somebody says, how long you been going to church? Nine months before I was born. Mom was bringing me to church before I was even born. That's a great practice to have, Right? The Jews could have said the same thing about being under the law. They were born Jewish, which by nationality tied them into one of the most special groups of people in all of the world, the apple of God's eye. This people to whom God would see fit to birth his Messiah through that group of people. Jesus was a Jew. But not just were they Jew by nature and nationality, but they were Jew by choice because of religion. And they received this law that they were to live under that was doing nothing but suffocating them to death. Have you noticed that, by the way? When all you've got is rule with no relationship, you wind up suffocating, don't you? If there's rule after rule after rule and there's no understanding of the rule, there's... It'll crush you under its weight. That's why Galatians chapter 3 tells us that the law is nothing but a schoolmaster to teach us of our need of Jesus, the Savior, right? And so as he's writing, he's having to balance this theological thought, the study of God in this, the, what do people do who are under the law? What do people do who are not under the law of the Gentiles? But then he lands on the place to where all of us can be, no matter if we're Jew or Gentile, and that is under grace. Where you want to be, where I want to be, is under grace. How many of you guys appreciate grace? You know when you appreciate it the most? Right after you've sinned and you understood you offended God. <laughs> That's when, you know whenever you recognize grace the least? When somebody sinned against you and you want retaliation. So thinking about this, this Fed talk, it's, it's this verse where we learn three truths about being done with sin. First is the present situation. You want to be done with sin, right? I want to be done with sin. The present situation. Romans chapter 6, verse 14, he says, For sin shall not have dominion over you. It is a present tense word, not had, had or, or will have. Understand this, that we all live in an environment that is drenched with temptation. 
There's not too many places you can go to where you don't face some kind of temptation. Remember hearing a story of a preacher who was trying to quit eating donuts. And so he prayed and he prayed and he prayed and he even spent time fasting and fasting and fasting and saying, God, please, I'm, I'm, I don't need to eat sweets. My waistline is growing. I need to st- I'm going to become diabetic if I just keep eating these donuts. But his routine for years was every morning go and get half a dozen of donuts and at least eat half of them before he got his way to the office. And by the way, this is not a true story of me, okay? <laughs> and so he prayed and he said, God, please, God, please. One day, under a great amount of temptation, he was circling the, uh, passing the donut shop. And he said, God, if you'll allow me grace one time to eat one donut, he said, let there be a parking spot available right at the front door. And after the 12th lap around the block, there was a spot. <laughs> sometimes how we, we're in such an environment of temptation, but the fact of the matter is sometimes we create the environment of temptation for ourselves, don't we? Yeah. And so if we, if we want to be de- done with sin, then, then we've got to understand the present situation. We don't have to drown in sin even though we're in an environment of sin. This present tense of Romans 6.14, for sin shall not have, have dominion over you. It's the moment, it's the now Understand that the sin that you deal with and understanding freedom for the future is not to focus as much on the future as it is to focus on the now. (laughs) This is where a lot of times we get to whenever we're thinking about being freed from the bondage of some sin in our life as we think futuristically about what life could be without that sin in my life. And there's nothing wrong with thinking about futuristically what my life could be without that thing in my life that is destroying my life, whether it is addiction or whether it is just perpetual bad attitudes, whatever it might be. We sometimes think futuristically of that, of how I could be or what could could be if I was set free. Or sometimes we go to the other end of the the spectrum and and we don't think futuristically, especially when we sin in the moment, we all of a sudden start cataloging all of the times that we've done in the past and every time we committed not to do it again, we we become historians. We think back and we remember, dang, it ain't been about 72 hours since I did that. It... I remember two weeks ago when this situation came up, there was the temptation, and I caved into the temptation, and I did it then. And all of a sudden, our minds get focused on the past, or our minds get focused on the future, what life could be, but it can't be because I can't get from here. And we forget just that present moment of the temptation we're in or the sin that we've just committed in that moment or quite possibly what about the defeating of the temptation so that there is no sin in that moment? <laughs> what, about, what about getting through the moment of temptation? What about having in that moment for sin shall not have Not that it just won't in the future, and not just that it has had its time in the past, but I declare right now, in this moment, that that sin won't have dominion over me. You have to sometimes see it in the the present. This is why Paul writes 
Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 and 16. He says, See then that you walk circumspectly, in other words, with great attention to what's happening in life, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. <laughs> See that you walk very reverent, very aware in this moment because it's a present situation that you're dealing with that is reminding of your, you of your past and robbing away the hope of your future when you've sinned. The next thing, the third, the second out of the three truths about being done with sin is the power offered unto us. For Christians, for Christians, who has more power, you or your sin? Oh, it's... it's Come on, it's not, it's not rocket science. It's not a bad question. It's not a trick question. Who has more power in your life, you or sin? Come on, y'all sound mighty weak. If you've got a champion, it's better than that, right? Who in your life has more power over sin, you or sin? Me. Thank you. Why is it? Because there has been a power that has been offered to us. This, this is what he says, for sin shall not have Dominion. Do you know the first time the term dominion was used in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 1? It reoccurs in chapter 2 and chapter 3. It, it, it teaches us that, that we have been created with a certain authority in our lives that have dominion, the ability to conquer the things of this world. In, in Genesis chapter 1, he says, you have dominion, authority, governance over all the, the plant life, the, the, the fowls of the air, the, the fish of the sea, the, 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 the beast of the field. You've, you've got authority over all of these things. You've got dominion over all of these things. And in chapter 2, everything is wonderful, and Adam is in the garden. He's needing to help me. God creates Eve, who is known as woman, and then she comes into the world. And when you put man and woman together... Sin is in chapter 3. <laughs> chapter 3, there's sin. And sin comes in and there's a new thing that needs to be dominated. There's a new thing that needs to have dominion over. And the only way that can come to us is through the power that is granted unto us. And that through the person of the Holy Spirit and the Bible that it teaches us. You, you do know the greatest combat you have against sin is that book. Someone once said that either sin will keep you from this book or this book will keep you from sin. Psalm chapter 119 verse 11 says that, that, that um, was that just me? <laughs> Something tapped my foot and I thought I died. <laughs> so, it's the spirit of the Lord. <laughs> if I hide God's word in my heart, I won't sin against him. Right? I mean, that's what we're talking about, being done with sin. This is another statement that I think is worth writing down. You are only as upset about your sin as much as Bible verses you have attempted to memorize. <laughs> you are only as angry at your personal sin as much Bible verses as you attempt to memorize. If you're not attempting to memorize Scripture, then you're not angry about your sin. 
You're placating, placating yourself. You're wanting other people around you to think you're upset about it. Maybe even you want yourself. You want you to think you're upset about it, but you're not upset enough to do anything about it. But if you have the word of God inside of your heart and you trust that God's going to bring that back to your memory and you say, Andy, I'm just too old to remember things. Ain't you ever heard you, you, you can't teach an old dog? Uh, man, that's a lie though, ain't it? That's a lie. And then I can prove it to some of you sports buffs who are as old as I am or older. You'll memorize that new starting quarterback for your favorite team. You'll, by the end of the season, know his stats. You'll know how much gross income he makes. And you can't memorize some Bible verses? Ah, you know what? Our appetite determines our filling. Sandy, why am I so full of sin? It's your appetite. Andy, isn't it great that I'm so full of the Word of God? It's your appetite. Depends on... On your appetite. You see, there's a power that is offered unto us to have dominion even over the sin that is in our lives. But the third truth is that the provision that is given to us, the provision that's given to us. <laughs> you see, the fact is we cannot overcome sin on our own. We've got to have God to step in. I saved this verse I'm about to call for the people in the media center need to know this. 2 Thessalonians 3.3. 3. It was supposed to be a part of the last point, but I really wanted to save it for this idea of provision here. It says, But the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. <laughs> let, me, let me say this. If it's your desire to be done with sin, and it's God's desire that you be done with sin... When those two match, guess what's going to happen? But the Lord is faithful who shall establish you. See, we've got to have God on our, on our side. We've got to have God in our lives. He says in verse 14, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but you are under, you are under grace. John 1, 17, John the Apostle is writing in remembrance of what all Jesus did, and he's recording this gospel record, and he says in verse 17, for by Moses came the law, that weighty thing that smothers us. We can't escape because we can't fulfill, and we're not perfect, and we're going to sin, and we're going to mess up, and, and, and this is a constant reminder to us of how wicked our flesh is and how weak we are spiritually. By Moses came the law, but by Jesus came grace. Came grace. Grace that is greater than all of your sin. We, we, we go to that. I mean, we're in chapter 6 of, of Romans. If you were just to flip a page over to Romans chapter 5, where does this chapter 6 come from? It flows out of the thought of chapter 5 where it says, Moreover, the law entered that offense may abound to help us see our sin. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. We say, man, thank God for grace. The way he starts off chapter 6 is, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? 
This, this is the crazy thing about grace. We all need grace. We all appreciate grace when we need grace. But the, the trouble is, is sometimes we're prone to frustrate grace. We're, we're prone to abuse grace. Nobody here has ever lived a lifestyle that abused somebody else's grace, have we? We don't, we don't understand that thought, do we? Yeah, we do. We took advantage of grandmama and her checkbook. Right? We made sure that the grace of, of the husband or, or the wife was stretched to its limit before the tension finally snaps. Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, you guys know that it's not me, but Christ who lives in me. That, that thought of me being dead to my own sins and, and Christ living his life inside of me. And, and, and that verse 21 that we don't think about much when we look at verse 20 is he says, For I do not frust therefore I do not frustrate the grace of God. The grace of God is given to us. And the fact of the matter is the grace of God is extended to you this morning. Not just if you need it, it's because you always need it. Not just in a moment. Grace is not a band-aid that is slapped on a cut and that's it. Grace is the skin that you're living in. It's got to be constant. It's got to be all the time. It's got to be overwhelming. It is what withholds the judgment of God over our lives. Romans chapter 4, verse 6. Blessed is the man whom the Lord will not impute sin. This verse doesn't have the word grace in it, but it's got the word grace all over it. <laughs> Blessed is the man whom the Lord will not impute what do we deserve our sin to be on us our sin to weigh us down our sin to take us under but happy or blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute drowned in his own sin it's because of grace you see there's two types of people here this morning and I want you to think and put yourself in the category of one of two types of people there are either the people here who want to be freed and done with sin, but don't exactly know how to do that. And then there's another group of people here who say you want to be done with sin, but you're doing the same thing that you've always done with sin, and it's a telltale sign that you really don't want to be done with sin. You say you want to be done with sin, but you really don't want to be done with sin. Because if you wanted to be done with sin, then you would have done something with your... Man, is this, is this sermon dragging y'all down? No? Is this okay? It's going to have to be because it's almost over. <laughs> Two types of people. Either you really don't want to do nothing with it or you do want to do something with it and you just don't know what to do with it. I'm fixing to tell you what to do with it. You ready? You ready? The only thing you can do with it, and that's confess it to Jesus. Okay, there's a couple of things you got to do before you can confess it, and that's recognize that it is sin, that that relationship is inappropriate, and you know it's inappropriate, and you need to confess that before God and agree with Him that it is wrong. We've got a culture of a bunch of sissified people who have had way too many comforts. 
And none of us want to be told we're wrong. All of us want to always be right. And all of us want our opinions to be heard first and loudest. And that's just the culture that we live in. And we don't want to be told. We don't want to feel that we're wrong. But please understand me with every ounce of love that I give each and every one of you. One day you will stand before a holy God who is just in every way. And he is expecting you to come before him clean. How do I know that? Jesus teaches us that he is coming for a spotless bride. The bride is the church. He is the groom. Have you ever seen a bride just before dum dum da dum? Have you ever seen her rolling around in a mud puddle saying, let me get this thing right? No. I mean, she is decked out. Every hair in the right place, even checked before she walks in the room. Is my makeup okay? Is my hair fixed? How does my dress look? Is the train right? Don't have no bugs on me. Right? Because she wants to present herself looking real good. Jesus is coming. It won't be long we're going to hear the dumb, dumb, da dumb. And it's going to be him coming down and not us. And when he comes down, he's, he's looking for a spotless, pure, confessed God. I am a sinner. I am wrong. My, I, it doesn't matter how angry I get. My anger is not justified. It doesn't matter the words that I use. They're not appropriate and not kind. It doesn't matter the excuses that I give of what I look at and how I feel. It doesn't... You got you to start putting the, the stake of the cross in all of your excuses so that when you confess, it will not be a worldly sorrow that only works what it works in the moment, shame and guilt, but that your heart is truly open and you say, God, you are right and I am wrong and this is a sin and it doesn't matter what the, the, the TikTok person is telling me. The word tells me something different. It doesn't matter what the next cubicle says about that lifestyle. The word of God tells me something differently. Come on. I'm going to start preaching. Y'all don't get involved here now. It doesn't matter there. It matters here. And so I'm confessing this. And the amazing, wonderful, great thing about confession is when you confess from a sincere heart, God hears that from heaven and he begins to build a channel in which he pours out his grace over your life. Because what he's looking for, just like me and you, whenever we got a kid that acts dumb and we know he acted dumb. How many of you parents are like that? You know, you, you kind of waiting in the shadow parent. You know, you told, you told him, don't do that. That's dumb. And then you step off in the shadow and you're like, let's watch the show. And he does something dumb. And then he comes to you eventually after trying to hide the dumb thing he did. Realizes all he's doing is making it worse. And then he comes to you and says, I blew it. I did the exact opposite you told me to do. How many of you guys going to open the helicopter? No. Not at that point you're not, right? At that point what you're going to do because he's learned his lesson. 
you're going to give some grace because you see he's broken, he's bruised. He needs, he needs grace. And so you're going to pour out grace and then you're going to reinstill the truth that you already gave him about how to get out of that situation. Repentance. Confession. Grace. Turning away from it. I've learned my lesson. Have you learned a lesson? Have you learned a lesson about your sin? This, this, is that, this is the conclusion to the title. You ready? We're done with sin. And the only way to be done with sin is to leave with Jesus. You hear me? The only way to be done with sin, look in the gospel record. There's the demoniac in the gatherings. What does he want? Jesus, don't leave this place without me, right? How many people after their healing came to Jesus and said, let me go with you? You know, the good thing about us is whenever we come and confess our sin to Jesus, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he pours out a grace to us that is greater than our sin. And with the goodness and grace of God, he leads, leads us to a place of repentance. And he says, once we've got into that place of repentance, now this is where I'm going. Do you want to go with me? And who would say no to that? Who would say no to that? Yes, Jesus, I, I want to go with you wherever it is. That's where I want to go. You know where Jesus went in the Gospels? To the cross. <laughs> where he sacrificed himself for the sake of others. To be done with sin means you leave with Jesus and you follow what Jesus has led us to follow. Today, you've got to make a decision. If you would stand to your feet, every head bowed and every eye closed for just a moment. You've got to make a decision. Are you going to be honest and sincere in your heart that you are ready to leave sin? I'm, I am done with this sin that is tearing me down. Oh, the world around me tells me that pot's becoming legal. It's okay to smoke pot since it's going to be legal. No. Uh, it's a, I'm just trying to get the world's attention is the reason that I act the way that I act. No, you don't need to get the world's attention through acting that way. You should repent. You should turn away from your sin. You should place your faith fully and solely in Jesus. You should know that he is power enough to save and to rescue you from hell, and he has enough power and authority to forgive you and bring you back on path with him. And so maybe this morning what you've got to do you got to figure out what is the sincerity of your heart. Is your heart really sincere? Does it really want what God wants? And are you ready to make that move? 